What is up, Houda Nation? It's Chris Rosoglu of Boot Crew Media, and the Saints have a really important game coming up Monday night against the Ravens. Chance to get to four and five, maybe inch closer in an NFC South that really hasn't had a clear favorite so far. And also, do we owe Cesar Ruiz an apology? I know I might, and I know some of you guys might as well. We're going to talk about that right here on the Straight Up Saints podcast. You're listening to the Straight Up Saints podcast. Joining me for this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook is Jeff Nowak of Odyssey Sports and WWL Radio. He does, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, definitely do inside black and gold. He does it with Steve Geller. Jeff, what's going on, man? You know, just, you know, living the dream. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you have me on because it's saving me from just spending all night playing Rocket League, which is what I usually do on my days off, so. Hey, look, I still have to get into Rocket League. One of my coworkers at the Spun always talks about how fun it is. And every every time I'm like, yeah, I'll play it. I just never get around to it. So maybe this will be the push that I need. But, um, you know, <laughs> I want to talk about uh, the trade deadline. Jeff, I know you you talked about it on your podcast with Steve. And you guys went into the Saints not making a move. And, look, I'm someone who you could tell on Twitter. I'm kind of for drama. Not like bad drama, but I'm good for, you know, any type of intriguing move here and there. But. I actually thought the Saints made the right move not going for someone at the moment. I don't know if they're a piece away from being a Super Bowl contender. And at the same time, they could still win the NFC South if they get healthy, kind of string together some wins. So when you look at what happened at the trade deadline or the lack of movement, I should say, what'd you kind of make of it? Yeah, so my kind of general philosophy at the trade deadline is you're only going, you're only a buyer if you are one or two pieces away from winning a Super Bowl not from making the playoffs. Like good teams buy talent to become a great team and win a Super Bowl. Bad teams buy talent to go from the fringe of the playoffs to the first round of the playoffs. So I think that's where the Saints are right now. And so you're kind of just in wait and see mode. And I think that, you know, when when you get the news that Mark Ingram is down with a knee injury and might be out three to four weeks, that, that might change your big thought process a little bit. But it's really a question of, okay, are we willing to give up assets, number one? And number two, you know, or is the player we're bringing in, do we feel like that has more value than just signing Jordan Howard off the practice squad, which I feel like in most cases will be a no. So I think that they made the right move by standard Pat. Yeah, so you mentioned running back, and I think that's the one position that Saints fans were mostly in on. I know a lot of people are like, hey, can they get Kareem Hunt? Or, you know, Jeffrey yeah. Wilson Jr. gets traded to the Dolphins, and people are like, oh, we can't give up a fifth-round pick for Jeff Wilson Jr. I know people, that's kind of how they react. You see this running back room. What what do you kind of make of it? I know, obviously, Alvin Kamara is the lead guy, not just from a leadership role, but what he does on the field. And Taysom Hill, I mean, 10 carries last week. Hopefully that could kind of be the status quo moving forward. Do you feel like maybe Taysom sneakily the RB2 in, in a weird way, just not what we expect? How do you think they kind of handle the running back group with Mark Ingram hurt? From a workload perspective, yes. Like, he's going to get carries, but you do still need a traditional RB2 for, you know, just for the play design, right? Because Taysom, while he does get eight to 12 carries, however many a game, you know, there are certain plays that you're not going to incorporate him in. You know, if you're just trying to go under center and plow forward for, for a gain on first down, that's not really where you'd put Taysom. So you do still need somebody, but that's why like Jordan Howard makes a lot of sense in that role. It's not going to be a featured role, but it's like what you would have hoped Latavius Murray could have done if they were able to keep him around, right? Just someone who's going to fall forward, get positive yards, and prevent you from having to put too much wear and tear on Alvin Kamara in in the games that you don't want to put wear and tear on him, right? Like when you get to the end of the season, 
you're going to be a little more uh, willing to send him out there and give him 25, 28 carries. You don't want to do that now. You need someone. So I would be surprised if we don't see Jordan Howard um, at some point in the near future and Dwayne Washington get in that role. But I think they're in decent shape, right? You, you have Alvin Kamara, and that's why, you know, Kareem Hunt, the reason that Kareem Hunt asked for a trade is because he's tired of sitting behind Nick Chubb in Cleveland. I don't think that going to the Saints and sitting behind Alvin Kamara will be a much more attractive scenario for him. So that's why I kind of thought that was funny. It's like you have to consider the person you're bringing in and why they're on the trade market to begin with. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're going to be, I, I don't see this as being a major change. And again, you know, Mark Ingram, while he's hurt now, he is only out for three to four weeks. So you really just need something to make it work over that span. So you're not overloading Alvin. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think they're fine. Yeah, that's actually a good point. You know, everyone brought up Kareem Hunt and, and in my head, I just didn't give much thought because I was under the assumption that either he doesn't get traded or the Rams like, you know, overpay. But the Rams, to your kind of point with Alvin Kamara, don't really have that lead back. And that would be kind of odd, right? Go from Nick Chubb to Alvin Kamara's kind of backup or sidekick. Right. I would say that'd be that'd be a little different. So one thing that I wanted to bring up having you on and, and you've been. I would say arguably the best person at talking about Cesar Ruiz because you've kept it really consistent, right? I think it's very easy when a player is struggling for a lot of people to bash on them, including myself. And, and you talked about, you know, when people are going to get into the Cesar Ruiz discourse, like either if you're going to still be negative, just kind of own the take that you had on previously. And I think it's a great point. And instead of bringing up, and I could if I wanted to, but I'm not going to, instead of bringing up, you know, fans' tweets, I'm actually going to bring up one of my own from last December it was the Monday night game when they played the Dolphins. And I tweeted, I swear I'm not a mean person, but I'm tired of watching Cesar Ruiz. Well, now I'm going to fast forward to this November, and I can't stop watching breakdowns that either you put out or Nick Underhill puts out. And I'm like, man, Ruiz has turned this corner. And I'm willing to own my idi idiotic take <laughs> while also making the turn and be like, Cesar Ruiz, I owe you an apology. As I'm sure many other Saints fans do, he's really kind of made that year three leap. For you personally, when you're watching him, what, what has kind of led to that? I, I know part of it's the way he's using his hands. I think he's also finishing off blocks a lot better now than he used to. Just kind of give your thoughts on this whole Cesar Ruiz situation. This is a player who made the switch to position. Year one, the whole COVID year was weird to begin with. So what have right. you kind of seen with Cesar Ruiz and like from what you've seen in year three? Yeah, so I think anyone that came into the league in 2020, it's understandable that they were a little behind the curve in terms of development because you didn't have – OTAs, you didn't have rookie minicamp, you didn't have preseason games. And so you were just thrown into the fire. And, you know, obviously guys like Justin Jefferson, they did not get impacted by that at all. But for a guy who's changing positions at a very technical position, it's going to be tough. So I think you have to give him a little bit of leeway there. Fast forward to year two, finally gets to go into a season, gets a better offseason program. Eric McCoy goes down five snaps into the first game and he's playing center for the first five weeks of the season, right? So you have to imagine that kind of just just resets everything. Ryan Ramchick's out majority of this, his second season, so he struggles. Like, I think that that has a big factor when this, like, rock steady right tackle that's supposed to be standing next to you is now Landon Young. You know, that, that makes it difficult. Um, and then so this year, I think a lot of it is just consistency, right? Like, you, you were able to get a full offseason program. You were able to get some reps at the position you're supposed to be working at. You're not dealing with an injury. And when I asked Ryan Ramchek about Caesar on Monday, you know, one of the things he went to right away was he's just confident. Like, and I think as an offensive lineman, that's a very important thing. Like if you, if you're not confident and you're hesitant, you're getting blown off the ball, right? We saw week one, Grady Jarrett just, you know, <laughs> just blocked him into another hemisphere. And 
that that's the type of block that happens when you're not a confident player. And I think what you've seen the last few weeks is just a guy who trusts his technique, trusts his ability. He probably has gotten a little bit stronger. He probably feels a little better physically in terms of the guys he's trying to block. Um, and he's also gotten a lot better as a pulling guard, which I think is very important, especially, you know, with Andrews Pete, because he's hurt all the time. <laughs> you have to have someone who can take over in that role if he's not there, because I think that's one of Andrews Pete's better abilities. Um, but no, I think this is just a, a young player who took a little longer to develop. And, I, you know, I did go on a rant, obviously, as you as you alluded to about, you know, one of the things that bothers me the most about the discourse around young players is like, if you're not a star right away, you're a bust, right? And, and it's like, no, there, there's a wide spectrum of what, what can happen here. And a guy struggling in year one and two, you know, I think that's understandable. Um, but the toxicity around Caesar got real bad and real ugly and for a guy who, you know, I, I don't think he's, I think there's always an offensive lineman that's kind of the, the goat. And it's like you blame somebody because you want to blame somebody. For years, it was Pete, right? And then and then Caesar showed up and now he's the punching bag. Uh, and I don't know, like it, it always bugged me because when you're looking at a player, you're looking at a young player, it's like you want to see him working hard and you want to see him improving. And I think you did see both of those things in year two. It was just overshadowed by the fact that every the entire offensive line struggled because of all the injuries and the inconsistency. So you go to year three, and it's like, okay, he just needs to take a bigger leap. That's what Zach Streif told us on uh, in the offseason. It was like, yes, he did get better year one to year two, but he needs to take a bigger step forward in year three. And that's what you've seen. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he's doing it. I'm glad that he's proven some people wrong because, you know, it's, it's a lot more fun when guys kind of – uh, make make the analysts look stupid because uh, you know we all get to, we get to clown on him a little bit. Oh, absolutely, and and I tell people this all the time when I'm recording, especially after a Saints loss, because that's usually when the emotions start flying. I always tell that's people, right. I hope we go back like two weeks later. I look at that take. I'm like, well, that was stupid, and, and no, for all the good reasons, you want to see these guys shine. And the the funny thing is, and I think this is part of the good the good aspect of of the Saints fan base is I remember the last two years like the the conversations about Cesar Ruiz. And for some people, they're still like arguing over his development and whatnot. I think that's like kind of unnecessary. But there are other fans who like immediately are like all hail King Caesar. I'm like, okay, so complete 180 in a good way. So it, it's been great. And I think this kind of is a fair segue into someone who really stood out last week against the Raiders and Peyton Turner, another player who year one, rookie year was just kind of decimated by injuries. This, and, and it's weird because his first game against the Panthers, we all saw him kind of flash that potential and we're all excited. And then unfortunately the injuries played a factor. He was excellent on Sunday and it wasn't one of those games where he's just kind of using his side a size and figuring it out as things go. Like there was a plan every single snap. And I'm just curious for you, Jeff, a guy who puts a lot of work in, in terms of studying the film throughout the week, what'd you kind of see from Peyton Turner that you really liked during that Raiders game? Well, you know, it, it kind of goes back to the off season where I thought, Peyton Turner had a really good offseason. You know, he was getting off the ball really well. He was using his hands. He was he, he's developing pass rushing techniques, which that's the thing when you when you're in college, you don't really need them. You're just going to out athletic people, right? Like you're you're bigger and stronger, so he's going to blow them off the ball. And so that's kind of where he needed to develop in the NFL. And I thought that he did that, right? I thought that he looked really good. You know, that's why he and Trevor Penning were getting into fights in camp because they were battling. Um and so what I saw on Sunday was a lot of that, right? Like it was that development where he's able to actually use it uh, in a game where he's healthy. And so hopefully he can continue to build on that because, you know, he has a really impressive comp 
combination of traits, right? He's got long arms. He's fast. He's strong. He's flexible. You know, he can get down and turn. And that, that first sack he had uh, on Derek Carr, I thought was just a great example of like, you can't double everybody, right? Like when you have a rotation of guys and it's like, you, okay, you want to double cam? Well, you're going to have to have single on the other side and that guy's going to have to beat that one-on-one matchup. And when he does, you know, Derek Carr's in trouble and that's what happened on that play. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just a young player. I, I think that he's struggled with consistency. That's what we've heard from Ryan Nielsen. So we've heard from Dennis Allen is like, you see it in flashes, but you don't see, you know, these consistent like run fits and, and stopping uh, plays that are sent to your side where you just have to be patient and read it. You know, he's trying to get upfield on every play and rush the passer. And so he needs to improve as a run defender first and foremost, because you know, the pass rush ability is there. Yeah. And look, if, you know, we just mentioned Ruiz before, if it's taught us anything, sometimes you just got to be patient with these younger players. I almost feel like the 2017 draft class just like skewed some people's opinions because almost pretty much every rookie was just playing at a Pro Bowl level out the gate. Uh, you know, one thing that has been a big aspect of this Saints season, probably the last couple of seasons of fortune, has been injuries. For you personally, when you look at this Saints team, they got the upcoming game against the Ravens, obviously, on Monday night. Out of the players missing, I know the two big ones, Michael Thomas and Marshawn Latimer, which one do you think is kind of the absence been a bigger impact on this team? I probably lean towards Latimer. Is that where you're kind of at with the way this Saints team's played? Well, you know, I mean, it's hard to say that Mike being there would have this offense moving at a much more efficient clip. That's the only reason I would stick with Latimer. But, you know, I think not having Latimer has allowed you to see Alante Taylor in a featured role. And I think these reps are going to be massive for him as you get later in the season. And hopefully you do have kind of your full allotment. I don't know if Bradley Roby's injury is going to be one he's allowed. It's going to allow him to come back off IR. But, you know, if you do get back to your kind of normal depth at cornerback, you now feel perfectly comfortable rotating a guy in and out, right? Putting out, probably playing Alante Taylor or Paulson Debo in the slot and getting your best three cornerbacks on the field. You know, like I think Chris Harris is a, is a good slot corner, but he's getting up there in age and, you know, you want to get your best three defensive backs on the field at a t- at the time to- at a- at the same time, and so, you know, I think with Paul Sandibo with Alante Taylor, and then you bring Lattimore back, I think that's going to be really tough to throw the ball against. So, you know, I, I but I do think that Lattimore's injury is a little more significant than people might realize. Like that hit he took in an unpadded area. You know, that's, uh, you know, you have organs there. (laughs) And uh, so I I don't expect to see him back this week. I do think I have a suspicion we'll see Mike Thomas at practice this week. I have a feeling because I don't think that typically how it works is like the more you see guys uh, in public, (laughs) the closer they are to coming back. So we we saw him for for a moment at practice last week. And then you saw him on the sideline. And so Peyton Turner, for example, he wasn't on the sideline for the games until he was ready to come back. And so then like, so he got on the field, I think in Arizona and he was on the sideline watching that game. And then he was back at practice and then he was playing the next week. So fingers crossed. I hope that's the case for Mike Thomas too. Yeah. Look, everyone went nuts over that kind of moment with Alante Taylor. And, and I, I thought at first I was like, Oh, people are getting excited. Rookie made a nice play on Devontae Adams. Then you look closer. It's like Mike running towards him to kind of like celebrate. I'm like, okay, well that's yeah. why people are freaking out. And to your point though, I am, curious to see how this offense does look like what it will look like when Michael Thomas comes back into full because you put out something interesting that I that ended up you know bringing over here you said the offense over the last three games Mm -hmm. number seven in first downs um, from passes 
So we look at that, which is just incredible to think about. No Michael Thomas, no Jarvis Landry over the last month. Do you feel like this is something that will carry over into the Ravens game? I know Baltimore's defense has been interesting to me. I know they just added Roquan Smith. They activated Tyus Bowser, so they're going to add a little bit more beef to the front seven. But they've also had, you know, I, I call the Saints, you know, the, the meltdowns they've had in the Bengals game or the Cardinals game, call them the four-minute meltdowns. There's four-minute stretches of bad football that kind of cost them. The Ravens have really struggled at times, especially in the fourth quarter. How comfortable do you feel with this offense, especially the passing game against the Ravens uh, going into Monday night? The the Saints passing game against the Ravens defense is yeah. the opposite. Yeah, right. yeah, the Saints. Yeah, I mean, so just just to kind of uh, you know button up that point, you know, so these if you go back and you watch the game, these these throws that are going to Mark Quez Callaway, those would be goes throws going to Mike Thomas, Jarvis Landry. So that's the role, right? And you would also be able to get more aggressive downfield with Chris Olave because you wouldn't need him as much in the intermediate routes. But so that's how I think it would change. Um, you know, like that interception where it just went off Marquez Callaway's hands. You know, if that's Mike Thomas, that might not happen. Um, but no, I think you are in a really good place um, with how you're incorporating Taysom Hill, with how you're incorporating um, Rashid Shahid, with how you're incorporating Chris Olave. You mentioned the uh, first downs passing stat. And so what's amazing about that is if you go back to 2021, this team was 31st in the league in first downs passing. And, you know, that's they had four quarterbacks, obviously. That's not a surprise. But I think it's just illustrating like one of what what Andy Dalton has done at a at an excellent clip this season that you know we were talking about bad takes I had a bad take in that I didn't think Andy had the juice to get it done in this offense but the way he's done that has been being hyper efficient on third downs particularly third and medium like so like third and five to nine you know you're converting on a lot of those third downs and that's why you've been able to extend drives and win the time of possession battle and you know the defense hopefully had kind of a coming out party in terms of like getting their swagger back, their confidence, whatever, in this past week against the Raiders. Because the, with the way the offense is operating, if you can get you know, cons- a consistent defensive performance, you're going to win games. I don't know how the defense is going to fare against Lamar. We've seen them struggle with the kind of read option running quarterbacks before. And I think it's going to continue because you haven't changed as a defense. Um, but no, I think they have a chance in this game for sure. Yeah, and, and speaking of Lamar, uh, you know, I look at this Ravens team in terms of weapons. There's no one in particular that kind of stands up. Mark Andrews is an excellent tight end, but he's actually banged up. I remember watching the, the Thursday night game last week against the Bucks. It felt like every time he had a catch, he'd go to the sideline for a decent bit to kind of get that knee worked on. I know Bateman's going to be out for this game. That takes away kind of a deep threat there. Guys like Devin Duvernay, Demarcus Robinson, they'll probably be the focus in the passing game. But you mentioned it. The focus is going to be on Lamar and what he can do in terms of those like backbreaking plays that he can produce. Do you feel like the same game plan with the way that I know it's two different quarterbacks, but if the Saints are able to get the same amount of pressure that they got on Derek Carr on Lamar, do you think that impacts the game in a significant way? Do you feel like Lamar is just so unpredictable and his, his athletic tendencies are so out of this world that even that might not be enough to kind of close the door on him? Well, so one of the reasons the Saints struggle with these, you know, kind of read option RPO running quarterbacks is you can't really pressure them. Like that's the problem is you can, you can get pressure on Derek Carr and you know, you're going to be able to run him down. Like you have to play with composure. You have to contain against Lamar. Like you want to keep him in the pocket, right? Like against Tom Brady, against Derek Carr, you want to flush him. You, you, that's the last thing you want against Lamar Jackson. So it's, it's tough because every instinct you have as a pass rusher is to get up field. But really what you want to do is just, just compress the pocket. So he can't move around and he can't find a lane out of it. 
Um, and that's what they didn't do against Kyler Murray. So they didn't do against Joe Burrow. And so that's where I have a little concern because yeah, this, this pass rush can get after passers, but if you get upfield and you don't keep your contain, you know, that actually works against you. So I don't know. I'm, I, I think that Lamar is going to get his big plays. I think the bigger thing is making sure that Lamar's big plays are, are limited in it at, as a, at their scope. Like you don't want to see him breaking 50 yard runs, but if he makes a nice play and gets downfield for 15, 20 yards, you live with it. You just have to make sure you're not getting beat over the top and you have to make sure that you're, they're beating you with a thousand cuts, not with big plays. Cause that's really what their offense is set up to do. Uh, especially without Rashad Bateman, right? Like Devin Duvernay is like the fastest guy in the NFL, not named Tyreek Hill. So you just have to make sure that he doesn't burn you over the top. And I think the the way the Saints offense is operating, they can score enough points if the, if the defense does its job in a complementary perspective. Yeah, I feel like the offense has been kind of manufacturing minimum, and I'm, I'm going minimum here, but like 24 points seems to be like the ballpark that at the minimum they'll kind of hit. And, and it's been more than that for the most part. And you mentioned you know, the Joe Burrow game, there were three, four moments where I felt like they had him in the backfield and then he kind of just shot out of the pocket and it ended up being a positive play for the Bengals every single time. You know, we we talked about, you know, the quarterback situation last year, bringing in guys. Something I found interesting today, um, you know, before we started recording was the Saints signing Brett Hundley to the practice squad. Mm-hmm. I didn't make much of it other than like, hey, look, he spent the offseason with the Ravens. This could be an intel thing. They do have the open spot on the practice squad. Is that kind of where you think this move is is, is at in terms of the, the sole purpose of it? That, and I also think you need someone that can simulate Lamar in practice. Like he's not, he's not the, like he is a very unique um, athlete in terms of the way he can move around. And so I just don't think that Jameis, Andy, or Jake Luton could have done that in a way that allows your defense to feel like they're getting, you know, quality reps in against the, you know, the, the, type of offense that you're going to be facing. So I think that's part of it. And also, yeah, I mean, he knows the offense, right? Like he, he's, he spent the off season with the Ravens. So he had, it's the same thing. It's like the, uh, the Eagles keep signed Ian book, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that they think he's their long-term answer, but um, you know, I think that he, he allows them to, to get some insight. And um, I think that's what this is more about. Um, But yeah, I mean, if you remember back JT Barrett uh, (laughs) a while ago, like he was the guy with the revolving door, um, quarterback. I think that was back in like 2016. I think he was signed and cut like 28 times. And so this, this saints team understands that like that practice squad quarterback is important in terms of, you know, what they can do and how they can replicate what the other team is doing. So I think that's what is happening. Yeah. You mentioned JT Barrett. Every time I see something going on with him, it's always something good. I, I like, you know, him focusing on coaching a little bit at this point in his career. I always just yeah. refer to him as saints legend JT Barrett. Cause it just went <laughs> back and forth. I feel like he's earned the title there. Um, you know, I was thinking about this before this Saints game, which I think is pretty cool. They announced it today. They got a Dome Patrol poster as the giveaway for mm-hmm. that Monday night game. I, I don't know how hard it is to remember what's kind of been given out to the fans at these games. Is this kind of ranked towards the top for Saints and giveaways? Yeah, you know, the Saints, you know, the, the giveaways are typically more of an NBA thing, right? Like you don't see a ton of giveaways at, at NFL games that, that aren't like towels, right? So, I mean, from that, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't go to a lot of the, like they don't give me the giveaways, you know, up in the press box. So I, I don't know if there's been anything more entertaining than that, but I'm a big bobblehead guy. I don't remember a saints bobblehead night, but uh, that's pretty good. Uh, don't patrol poster is pretty cool. Maybe I can get my hands on one. I think I have an empty spot up here. 
Yeah, I, I think it'd be perfect there. Last question I got for you, Jeff. You, you guys have done, and by you guys, I mean the beat reporters have done an excellent job throughout this season. You know, when stuff's getting out, you know, getting out of hand and people are worried two and five, we don't want, you know, fans don't really want to hear about the, you know, the division's still open. Be patient because you're just so frustrated now. But, you, you know, you're looking around. It's November. They're one game out of division at three and five. How confident are you? that this team does have the necessary pieces to turn around. And, and I don't care if it means seven and 10, eight and nine, nine and eight, winning the divisions, winning the division, you get a home playoff game. What's kind of the confidence level on a scale of one to 10 that the saints have the right guys to kind of turn this around. And maybe the Raiders win was a sign of things to come for the second half of the year. In this division, <laughs> I'm very confident. <laughs> um, so one of the things I noticed, I, I looked up the other day was like, okay, what are the odds for the saints to win the NFC South right now? And, I, I mean, I haven't looked today, but they were like plus five fifty. Like, bet a hundred dollars to win five hundred and fifty dollars if they win the division. I think that's good money. Like, uh, and it's less about like what do the Saints have versus like okay, like the Bucks look dead in the water, right? Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Brady just says, you know what, <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm gonna head out. Uh, you know, like the Panthers are actively trying to lose, <laughs> right? They're accidentally winning, but they're trying to lose, so they're just not a factor. The Falcons. I mean, are they the second best team in this division? So, like, I I think that from from a confidence perspective, if you're the Saints and you're looking at your roster, which you felt confident enough to, you know, leverage future assets to try to make something happen this season, I think you're in the nine ten range. Like, you you do feel like you can win this division because why wouldn't you? You have games in hand. You actually control your own destiny, which is something that's insane to be able to say at three and five, but you do because um, you have games against the Bucks and the Falcons left. So. I mean, I, they're, if they can continue, like they could lose this week and I would still feel confident about them winning this division. But, you know, you, the, the important thing is like you got to find a way to get back to 500. And then you can like the last couple of games of the season is when you really kind of make hay on that. But like I don't see the Falcons winning a ton of games. I don't see the Panthers winning a ton of games. The Bucks lost to the Panthers. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's it's a really weird season. I'm always kind of the pump the brakes guy on Twitter. But I think in this case, like, why wouldn't you be confident? You've like, like the way I look at it is like, okay, yeah, three and five sucked, but like all the things that could have gone wrong have gone wrong. So it's like, you're going to get guys back. You have, you now feel more confident in your quarterback in terms of you have a solidified starter. You now feel more confident in some of your depth in Alante Taylor, the offensive line hasn't allowed a sack in two weeks. They're playing as, as well as they have in three years. I think um, you're running the ball. Alvin Kamara is healthy. Like it, everything that, you felt like was going in the right direction for them is still there. And it's just a matter of putting together a win streak, winning two or three games in a row. Cause I think the first team that does that is going to win this division. Yeah. And to your point, you have the, the Panthers playing the Bengals this weekend. You have the Falcons going up against the chargers. You have the bucks going up against the Rams. Like those are all possible games that they end up losing. And you mentioned, you know, things that have gone wrong, did go wrong early in the year. This team had a double doink that, that never happens. Like you, you get one double doink every five years. This was the unfortunate time that it happened to the saints. Uh, we'll see if, if, you know, they can kind of turn this around. And, and I would put it this way. If they won Monday night, all of a sudden, and I'm usually, you know, not so quick to jump to the optimism, but all of a sudden, my opinion changes because I keep saying if they win the three division games they have left, I'd feel good about them winning this NFC South. So if they get to four and five, beat a Ravens team, and then go to Pittsburgh against a team that's been underwhelming this year, all of a sudden things can turn around. Uh, Jeff, before you go, where can people check out your content and follow you on Twitter? Yeah, it's at Jeff underscore Nowak, N-O-W-A-K. You know, if you're looking for 
looking for content, you can go to WWL.com. Check out uh, our podcast, me and Steve Geller. It's called Inside Black and Gold. It's an ampersand, if you ever, you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've been doing that for a couple months now. It's it's a lot of fun. We're still kind of getting our footing. It's our first season doing it, but you know, we're we're, we're picking it up. The audio quality has been has been up and down. You know, we're <laughs> kind of finding our way. Uh, but yeah, I'm getting better at editing it, so that's that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, like one and and my selling point for this podcast is like. You know, one of the things I like to do is I'll, I'll raise a question and then I'll go and ask the person about it and come back and play their answer. Right. I think that's something that, you know, we can do in a unique way that other people can't. So like that's that's what I've been trying to do a lot of. Like uh, one of the things I did was I went on a rant about how Dennis Allen should give up defensive play calling. And then, then the next day I was like, hey, Dennis, you ever consider giving up play calling? <laughs> and then brought it back. So like that's that's the kind of thing we're trying to do a lot more of. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. But if anyone who checks it out, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, really appreciate having you on. And for Saints fans, uh, stay tuned for more content. I know John Hendricks is going to have stuff here on Buku Media's YouTube page and all their other accounts. And also stay tuned for Pelicans content here. That's going to do it for the Straight Up Saints podcast, the destination for the Straight Up Saints podcast.